Holy Father, it is such a, a simple confession that we love You. Even those words, sometimes, if we're honest, we're not even sure what we mean by them. But we express them to You now. And we pray that as we wait upon You in Holy Scripture, that the Holy Spirit would engage our minds and address our hearts and help us to see this truth You have for us. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I hold here in my hands, if I can continue our show and tell for another moment, I hold here in my hands a rock. Can you see it on the screen? This is not just any old rock, however. For me, I must tell you that this rock bears intrinsic spiritual value and meaning for me. All right? This is a big hunk of rock. This rock is from the top of Mount Sinai. This last uh, spring, one of uh, Karen's friends and colleagues at the University Medical Clinic, she and her husband, Becca, and her husband, Jeremy, climbed Mount Sinai over spring break. Before she left, I said, hey, Becca, when you get to the top of Mount Sinai, would you just get a little stone for me and bring it back? But God bless her, she brought this huge hunk and carried it in her suitcase halfway around the world, and I'm so honored to have it. This is from the top of Mount Sinai. Now, three weeks ago today, this nation, first time in history, this nation, more properly, uh, the evangelical community within America, three weeks ago today, celebrated the first annual Ten Commandments Day. You remember that? Yeah, Ten Commandments Day. I was watching a live telecast on that day, a rally, a Ten Commandments Day rally, coming out of the nation's capital on 3ABN, the satellite network. When I saw a colleague of mine get up into the, uh, the pulpit and he began to preach and teach, he was teaching something I had never in my life heard of before. And so I raced over to the telephone there in the kitchen and I grabbed a little notepad we keep beside the telephone and I began to scribble as furiously as I could notes from this preacher's teaching. I was so taken up with this that when we met with our senior leadership team on Mondays, we do every Monday afternoon, I, all over the whiteboard, I said, hey guys, here, here are the, the, the rudiments of, of this teaching. What do you think? And the longer I brooded on it, the deeper grew the conviction that I just have to share. I, I have to share this with you. Now, I decided to call up my friend Richard Davidson, who is the chair of the Old Testament department here in the Theological Seminary at Andrews University. And I said, hey, Dick, I want to run something by you. And I ran the teaching by him. And I said, okay, now tell me, what do you think? No problem, he said. Impeccable biblical research, exegesis, which is a word that describes getting deeply into Scripture. That stands. And so then what I did was... I called my colleague who had taught the teaching. I got him on the phone this last week. And I said, Mike, Mike, this is something. I'm wondering if it would be all right if I share this with my congregation here at Andrews University and on television. He said, hey, be my guest. He said, by the way, don't mention my name. I said, no, 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 no. I teach in the theological seminary and I'm, I'm very clear with these young preachers. You must give credit to where credit is due. 
In fact, I tell the story about a preacher who got into the pulpit one day, and before he began his sermon, he put this hand up in the air, and he just made a little slash with it, and he preached his heart out. When he got to the end of the sermon, he put this hand up in the air, slashed down, and he sat down. One of his parishioners came up to him afterwards, and they said, Pastor, what is this slashing stuff you're doing in the pulpit? He said, Oh, I borrowed somebody else's sermon, and those were my quotation marks. (laughs) Well, I'm not going to put the slashes in the air today, because the words are mine. But I'm very, uh, very grateful for my colleague and friend, Pastor Mike Oksitenko, who pastors in Maryland in the Allegheny East Conference, for sharing this with me. And by the way, it wasn't new with Mike. Rabbis for centuries have been making this very same conclusion and teaching. And do you know where they got it from? They got it from Moses. And do you know where Moses got it from? Moses got it from God. And surely God wants us today to get it as well. And so I want you to open your Bible, please, to a facet. You will, never, you will never climb Mount Sinai again and be the same. This will forever change your understanding of what took place on the top of Mount Sinai. So without any further ado, let's go. Open your Bible, please, to the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 24. Exodus 24. If you didn't bring a Bible, grab that pew rack Bible right in front of you right now because you are going to have to see this. I need you to see it right there in the Bible, and it would be page 55 in our pew Bible. Take a Bible, Exodus 24. I'm going to be in the New International Version. You follow along, whatever translation you have. Exodus chapter 24. I'm going to pick it up right there at the top of the chapter in verse 1, please. Exodus 24, verse 1. Then he, God, said to Moses, Come up to the Lord. You and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, those would be the boys of, those would be the, the sons of Aaron. And by the way, they meet a tragic fate a little later in the Pentateuch. Come on up, God says, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 of the, el- 70 of the elders of Israel, you are to worship at a distance. But Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. Come up where? where what's, what's he talking about? He's saying, come on up Mount Sinai. Four chapters earlier, four chapters, you remember, probably the most spectacular pyrotechnics display in the history of this earth. God, boom, with with a sonic boom, God thundered the ten words, the ten commandments. From that fiery, billowy, rumbling summit, boom, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee, how's it go? Make unto thee any graven image. The NIV, by the way, translates that, thou, you shall not make any idol. And you're going to have to please allow me this slight digression because America has been going gaga over an event of late. And I don't know if you even know what this event is all about. But um, are you acquainted with American Idol? I mean, come on, you'd have to slip through the week if you didn't know about it. This was the finals week, as you might know. It's a bunch of um, musician wannabes. Who are competing until they get up, apparently, to the final two contestants. And America votes. The world watches it 48 hours delayed, but America gets to see it live. And they vote either by text messaging or by calling up a number. And this last week, 63.4 million votes were cast. That is more votes than any president in the history of the United States has garnered. Now, what does that tell you about America today? Huh? Don't you tell me America, ha- America has no need of the Ten Commandments. You shall, have, you shall not make unto you any idol, American idol, please. 
All right, so you know the story of here at the top of Mount Sinai. God thunders all ten of the commandments. So that happened, that happened just four chapters ago. Now God is saying, bring, I, want, I want this special leadership team to come. Seventy-four of you. Moses, you bring them up. All right? Here they come now. You've got to see this. This is uh, verse 9 of Exodus 24. And so Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up, verse 10, and they saw the God of Israel. Now watch this. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. The Bible describes these 74 coming up to that spot on the mountain. And when they glance, when they turn to the very physical presence of God, they see a massive slab of something that the Hebrew calls sapphire. From whence comes our English word sapphire. Have you ever seen a sapphire? Have you? I'm going to read to you a, a quotation I got off of the web and you'll see sapphires in the background. Take a look at this. Sapphires from time immemorial. Immemorial. The allure of sapphires has made them the most popular of all colored gemstones. Even today, sapphires remain America's number one selling colored gem. Their beauty and mystique continues to enchant buyers from the four corners of the globe. Now watch this. The prices for fine quality large sapphires can be higher than diamonds. Hold on. The highest price ever attained for a sapphire is $48,871 per carat. Paid for the 62.02 carat Rockefeller Sapphire in 2001. Would you like to see the Rockefeller Sapphire? Take a look at this picture. That's just a little ring finger, by the way, enlarged. Now, given that 48,000 plus per carat, what do you think the value of this little piece of sapphire is? Put it on the screen. Three million, thirty thousand. It's $979.42 value for one tiny piece of sapphire. But when the 74 men arrive, they see the eternal standing, as it were, on a massive slab of sapphire. What is going on here? Hold on. This is incredible. Take your breath away. We need to go to Ezekiel. I want you to see it, so don't read it off the screen if you've got a Bible there. I know you haven't been to Ezekiel in a hundred years, but I want you to go please today. Ezekiel chapter 1. What's the page number for the Pew Bible? 557. Take a look at this. This is one of those wow Bible teachings. Ezekiel chapter 1. This, the, the, this is the prophet's first vision granted to him as a young exile in uh, Babylon. And in this vision, God is drawing him until finally the climax of the vision, Ezekiel is ushered into the very presence of the Eternal. And it's a fascinating vision, and I wish we had time for it, but we don't. We need to go to the end of the vision. Drop down to verse 22. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 22. Spread out above the heads of the living creatures, spread out over their heads, was what looked like an expanse. Sparkling like ice and awesome. Can you see that? Just glittering, glittering in the light. Verse, verse uh, 25. Then there came a voice from above the expanse over the angels' heads as they stood with lowered wings. Verse 26. Above the expanse, over their heads, was what looked like a throne of what? 
a throne of sapphire. And high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. Verse 27. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal as if full of fire. And that from there down, he looked like fire. And brilliant light surrounded him. Verse 28. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This, no, note, this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw I fell face down and I heard the voice of one speaking. Ezekiel has just been ushered into the presence of God Almighty. And upon what is God sitting? What is God sitting on, ladies and gentlemen? He's sitting on a throne. And what is the composition of the throne? Call it out to me. What is it? It is sapphire. Ezekiel wants to make sure we don't miss that point. And so in chapter 10, verse 1, he writes it again. I looked and I saw the likeness of a throne of sapphire above the expanse that was over the heads of the cherubim. God is sitting on a sapphire throne. Is that clear so far? In fact, that point is so critical. I wish you'd write it down right now. Take out your study guide that's in your worship bulletin. And let's, let's get this down before we forget it. Pull out your study guide. And by the way, ushers, thank you. If you, if you came in, four or five of you... With one, uh, one worship bulletin, put your hands up. I want to make sure everyone who wants this incredible Bible teaching has the opportunity to have a study guide. So just hold your hands up. Our ushers are com- coming by up in the balcony as well, please. And those of you watching on television right now, I'd like you to get the very same study guide. Let me put our website on the screen for you. There it is, www.pmchurch.tv. Go to our website. If you're watching this on a live video streaming, which you can do now on our website... You can hit pause and you can go to, the, go to uh, where it says study guide. Go to our series. The series is Eternity's Edge. And by the way, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is the last of our, our Eternity's Edge series. This is part 11. Go there. Click on to that series. Click on to this teaching, The Truth of the Missing Sapphire. And it'll say study guide. Click. And you'll have this identical study guide. And I want you to get this down, please. Everybody have one? Good, let's go. Exodus 24, verses 9 and 10. Fill it in, please. Under God's feet upon Mount Sinai, we just read this, was something like a pavement of sapphire. Write it in. Sapphire, clear as the sky itself. Write that in. Now now I need to ask you the question. What is the color of sapphire? Let me put another web quote from the same website. You have the address of the website, but you'll need to fill this in. This enduring and most popular color hue of the sapphire family comes in a wide range of blue colors. Blue sapphires are thought of as the most desirable and expensive of the entire sapphire family. So keep, keep writing. God is standing upon a translucent slab of blue stone. All right, keep writing. What does, that, what does the sapphire represent? Keep writing. We just looked at it. Ezekiel 1 and again Ezekiel 10. God reigns from a throne of sapphire. One more sentence. Therefore, the sapphire upon Mount Sinai was a visible representation of God's throne. You got that part? We're okay here? Now, I'm telling you, the most exciting part is just ahead. Watch this. We need to go back to Exodus. I'm not going to have you read it on the screen. Please go back to Exodus 24. That was page 55 in the Pew Bible. Let's go back. See this in your own Bible. Exodus chapter 24. Now, we have the the, the 74 men there. They're eating with awe and drinking in the very physical presence of God. This cloud 
and feet standing on this sapphire pavement. And then a voice comes out of that cloud of glory. A voice comes to Moses. And this would be verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here. And I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. Moses, I want you, please, you come on up here. You come here and spend some time beside me. You leave those men there. And while you're here, Moses, I'm going to give you the tablets of stone. And by the way, what would those tablets of stone become? What would they become? The ten what? The ten commandments. Come on up. And, of course, what would the composition of those tablets of stone that became the Ten Commandments? Well, obviously, it would be a hunk of granite from the summit of Mount Sinai. Obviously. That's what I used to think and that's what I used to teach until I found and heard this teaching. I pulled my own Hebrew Bible out and I said, wait a minute, does this really stand up? And it does. And I want to share it with you. Pull your pen back out because you're going to need to fill in, fill in what's happening here in verse 12. The verse should literally, in the Hebrew, this is how the verse reads. You got your pen ready? I'll repeat the verse. The Lord said to Moses, it's in your study guide, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of the stone. No English translation carries that, but in the Hebrew, it's the tablets of the stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. The the in the Hebrew, it's ha. It's, it's, it's a particle article. It identifies a specific object that has been previously noted. So when the Hebrew Bible reads, Ha-Eben, it's referring to the stone that has just been on the reader's mind. And what stone has just been on the reader's mind? Come on. That sapphire stone, is it not, upon which God is standing? It's the sapphire stone which constitutes the very throne of God. It's the sapphire stone that God declares to Moses will become the stone of the Ten Commandments. I.e., in other words, write this down, please. God essentially is saying, I will carve out a piece of my sapphire throne and I will write upon it with my own finger my divine law for my earth children to obey. Keep writing. God wrote the Ten Commandments upon a piece of His throne and then gave it to us. Wow. I, I had never seen this before. The Ten Commandments were carved, as it were, out of the very throne of the eternal God. And by the way, how long does God's throne last? May I put this on the screen for you? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Which means, would you jot this down? The Ten Commandments are as eternal as the throne of God who spoke them and wrote them. Now, that's hardly a new teaching in, in, in the Old Testament. In fact, may I put some verses um, on the screen before you, and you have them in your study guide. The great Psalm 111. Jot this down. What does that psalmist declare? All his commandments are sure. They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. Make sure you get that. The commandments are forever. Now take a look at Psalm 89, verse 34. God speaking. My covenant I will not break nor alter. Please make sure that you make... You spell that with the E. I see Jonathan here. 
and Marcella, and they're going to the marriage altar tomorrow. That's A-L-T-A-R. But make sure that this is A-L-T-E-R. That means I will not change it. God says, my covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Ladies and gentlemen, let me, let me see if I have this straight here. God spoke ten words from the summit of Mount Sinai. True or false? Yes, he did. He spoke ten words. Now, by this declaration, isn't God saying that once the word has been spoken from my mouth, I will never alter that word? Does he say that or not? Oh, yes, he does. Which is why it's no surprise, I guess, that when God incarnated himself into human flesh and Jesus came in our midst, he was such a champion of God's law and the Ten Commandments. Take a look at this. This is Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Fill this in too, please. This is Jesus speaking. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. No, 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 no. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven... We'll come back to that word in just a moment. Till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Did you get that, ladies and gentlemen? Jesus declares that the divine law will last as long as heaven. As long as heaven. Now, let me take you back to Exodus. Let me put it on the screen here. Exodus chapter 24, verse 10. Here, you remember how the sapphire was described? It was described in the NIV, clear as the sky itself. The New King James renders that like the very heavens in its clarity. In other words, the Ten Commandments were carved on stone as blue and as clear as the sky above, and they will last. Jesus declares in the Sermon on the Mount, they will last as long as we have heavens over our head. And how long would that be, I wonder? How long would that be? Forever, he's already said. Isn't that incredible? But then, why should we... Be be surprised that Jesus is the champion of the Ten Commandments. After all, I remind you, He wrote them Himself. Some of us have forgotten that 1 Corinthians 10 is really in the Bible. Find 1 Corinthians 10. I don't want you to see this on the screen either. You need to see this right there on your lap. 1 Corinthians 10. Let me give you a page number for the Pew, <clears throat> Pew Bible. Page 772. 1 Corinthians 10. Take a look at this. 1 Corinthians 10. Those of you watching on television right now, I hope you have your Bible with you. You get that study guide, you have all these verses. You'll be able to ruminate over this later. But I want you to hear it, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is Paul writing to the Christians in Corinth, all right? Here he goes, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our forefathers and foremothers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. Verse 2. They all, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Verse 3. They all ate the same spiritual four. Food, rather. Verse 4. And drank the same spiritual drink. Now, hold on. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was whom? Call it out. And that rock was Christ. Did you catch that? The rock accompanied them. Now, you and I are used to thinking that the cloud accompanied them. And it did. You remember the cloud? It was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And you remember when the cloud up went up, everybody up. When the cloud came to a stop, pitch camp. They followed that cloud for 40 years. You remember that, don't you? We're all used to following the cloud, but when was the last time you thought about following the rock? And yet, 
Paul is absolutely clear. Jot this down. Look at him. He's saying they drank from the same spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Christ was the rock. And by the way, not just the rock. Oh, everybody loves the story there in Exodus 17 when they've run out of water. You remember that? They're all out of water and they're now they're ready to kill Moses. People don't have much patience with leaders these days, do they? They're ready to kill him. And then Moses goes to God and God said, hey, not to worry. There is a rock over here. And what I want you to do is I want you to strike that rock. And when Moses struck the rock like a river of life. Isn't that true? Water flowed out. Now, we all know that rock story. By the way, we also know the sadder rock story in Numbers chapter 20 when God says, Oh, Moses, the people are, 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 are mad again, thirsty again. Here's what you do this time, Moses. I want you to go to that rock and I want you to speak to it. Oh, God is making an incredible point. He says, You bet the rock must be struck once. And may I remind you that when the rock hung on Calvary between those two thieves and he was struck once, John 19, 34, look at that, a sudden flow of blood and what, 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 water. When he was struck once, the water flowed. But I tell you what, the lesson is clear. You never have to strike the rock again. There is no celebration that we go through to re-crucify Christ. He is never stricken again. Now you only need speak to the rock and the water is yours. Jesus said, any man who comes to me, any woman who comes to me, it's be like a, it'd be like an artesian well inside of you. You'll never be thirsty when you come to me. You see, that was the grievous sin of Moses. And that's another story for another day. But he struck the rock again. You don't strike it again. Ah, so we're very clear. Christ was the rock. Write this down. Oh, we're so clear. Christ was the watery rock. But ladies and gentlemen, also write it down. He was also the blue rock. Christ was the blue rock. The sapphire stone was His throne. A throne, but keep writing. A throne, by the way, with wheels. Ezekiel 1 is clear. There are wheels on the throne of God, and so is Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. God's throne has wheels. It is a mobile throne. It can follow. It can lead. It can move. It has wheels. A sapphire rock throne from which Christ Himself cut out stone tablets and carved onto them with His own finger the Ten Commandments that He Himself had thundered from atop Mount Sinai, which means, write this down please, which means that Christ is the very embodiment of the Ten Commandments. And so, when I choose to obey them, I am choosing to follow Him. Is that, is that clear? Is that clear? Keep writing. It is no wonder that Paul exclaims in Romans 10, verse 4, i put it on the screen for you here, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. The Ten Commandments were carved out of the sapphire stone of His throne. By the way, a century and a half ago, these words are written. A century and a half ago, amid the awful glory of Sinai, Christ declared in the hearing of all the people the ten precepts of His Father's law. And now notice this sentence. It was He, Christ, who gave to Moses the law engraved upon the tables of stone. End quote. Christ was the blue sapphire rock. And ever since that moment in Exodus 24, guess what? The royal color of sapphire blue has been the color of God's truth 
and his power as two stories. I want to close with these two stories. The stories of two women as it powerfully illustrates. Two stories, two women. Story number one, woman number one. Let me end with these. Once upon a time, there was a dear woman who had an issue of blood, which meant that she kept on bleeding after her monthly period cycle was over. In fact, she kept bleeding for 12 long, debilitating years. But then she heard of a mighty healer who was coming to her town and something deep within her desperate heart believed that he could be her, her deliverer. And he was a Jew. And like all faithful Jews, he wore the garment, the prescribed dress, which meant that in the corners of his robe, there would be little tassels hanging. Where did that ever come from? Take a look at Numbers chapter 15. That came from soon after the Exodus 24 moment when God said to Moses and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, watch this, speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue thread. I want you to put blue, put blue into that tassel on the corners of your garments and you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it when, when you see the blue, you will remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. And now notice, you may not follow the harlotry which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined, that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy for your God. When you see the blue, remember the blue sapphire, Ten Commandments. And so this healer, comes to town wearing the blue fringed tassels upon his robe as a symbol of the law he himself once upon a time spoke and then carved with his own finger wearing the blue the healer comes to town and this woman desperate for that healing put herself in his crowded pathway and then reaching her anemic and bony arm through the forest of legs she lunges towards the blue she touches the blue and Dr. Luke, a physician, and by the way, he must have been intrigued at this miracle. The physician Luke describes that moment, Luke 8:44, and she came up behind Jesus and she touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. She touched the blue. Very interesting, that word, the Greek word for the edge that you just saw there in Luke 8:44. The Greek word for the edge is the identical word used in the Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint, the, the identical word in Numbers 15:38 for that blue tassel that is hanging from the garment of a faithful believer. She touched the blue of his tassel. And then she's healed. In other words, would you write this down? She touched the sapphire blue ribbon, and the King James calls it a ribbon, she touched his sapphire blue ribbon and power flowed out of the life giver who was the lawgiver, and healed her instantaneously. She touched the blue. Don't you tell me. Don't you tell me that divine power is not unleashed to those who choose to obey the law of the lawgiver as well as the way of the life giver. Story of woman number one and now the last story. Story of woman number two. She started out pure, 
and innocent. But she forgot the law of God. She ignored it and she fell. And oh boy, it was a terrible fall. And she became a prostitute, a very wealthy whore, lavished with the treasures of those who committed fornication with her. She covered herself with the priestly colors of royalty. There is purple and scarlet and gold and pearls. But in all her adulterous array, she left one color out. Let us not be surprised that she did, for had she remembered that color, she would not be called the mother of all harlots. She left the color out. And I need you to see this in your own Bible, the last text, Revelation, the Bible's last book, the Apocalypse, please. Find it, Revelation chapter 17. Revelation 17. A tale of two women. Story one, we just had it now. Here is story two, Revelation 17. Drop down to verse 3. And the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert. And there I saw a woman, there she is, sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. Now the woman, verse 4, was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold and precious stones and pearls. And she held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. Verse 5. And so this title was written on her forehead. Mystery. Babylon the Great. The mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. Last verse. Verse 6. And I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints. The blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. You know who that woman is, don't you? She wears the colors of the high priest. Exodus 39, verse 1 is absolutely clear. She wears those colors with one glaring omission. She is missing the color of blue. No blue. The one color that is a perpetual sign of loyalty to God's commandments and character and kingdom. She doesn't wear blue. Which is why she will suffer the fate of a priest's daughter. In the Old Testament, if you were a daughter, if you were a preacher's kid, you were a daughter of a priest and you became a prostitute. Leviticus 21 verse 6 is absolutely clear. Your fate, you will be burned to death. This woman suffers the fate of a priest's daughter. In verse 16 of that chapter, she is burned to death. Two women, one color, the color blue, one touched it and lived. The other forsook it and died. Hey, folks, Ten Commandments day is past. But God's Ten Commandments are still present. And I tell you what, I'm going to be very honest with you. That is why for the life of me, I, I, I just can't figure this out, can you? For the life of me, I cannot understand how any man or any woman or any church could declare that one of the Ten Commandments has been changed. I, I don't understand it. I do not understand. I mean, this is Memorial Day weekend. The Bible calls the Seventh-day Sabbath God's Memorial Day of creation. For the life of me, how can you explain it? That which the eternal Christ with his own finger carved onto blue sapphire stone taken from his throne. How anybody could come along and say, you know what? It's been changed. Forget it. I don't comprehend it. 
sapphire from his throne itself. Sounds to me like somebody who doesn't wear blue is hoping the world will forget. When the fourth word of the blue stone is remember. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that in them is. And on the seventh day He rested and God blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Remember. When you see the blue, remember. As long as there are blue heavens above and the blue stone of God's Ten Commandments As long as those heavens last, that blue stone will remain unchanged, unaltered, and unimpeachable by any man or any church. True blue. That's what I want to be. I want to be true blue. How about you? I want to be true blue. I want to be true blue to Christ. I want to be true blue to His law. I want to be true blue to the Ten Commandments. I want to touch the blue. When I reach out to Jesus, don't you? Oh, God, please help us to be true blue to Jesus. Amen. And amen.